shapeshifters hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. This is Christopher, and I'm here, as always, with Tom. Tom, first of all, happy holidays. Happy holidays, sir. This is exciting. This will drop right before, or right around the Christmas holiday with uh, Hanukkah. I think we'll just... Oh, Hanukkah actually starts the week that we're recording. Yeah, exactly. So that'll uh, be over by then. Hanukkah starts a day from where we're recording right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, yeah, of course, uh, happy new year to everybody. And uh, we will uh, we'll talk about what's going to happen on Time Shifters in the year in 2024. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of the show. But otherwise, how have you been? I am uh, I am well. It is the, as you said the holiday season, and I am happy to say I am through my home renovation. So uh, it feels a little like I am home again. So <laughs> yeah, excellent, good. When your home ven- renovations look fantastic. Yes, thank you. From the uh, the photos you have shared. Yes, no, lots so. of good hard work, and it turned out really nice. Yeah, excellent. You know what? Let's let's talk. We got a little bit of sad news just today, uh, the day of recording. This is uh, Wednesday, the uh, December sixth. Uh, we heard today that television producer, television show creator Norman Lear passed away at a hundred and one years old. He definitely hung in there. Uh, well, and working. He was working and still producing. Even at the age of 100, 101 years old, he was still working. Yeah, I'm looking at a, uh, a, a an executive producer credit for literally this year. Yeah, yeah. A, a, an astonishing uh, individual, amazingly long life. And wow, the things he gave us. I was, uh, I'm a little bit older than yourself, so I don't know how much of uh, these shows you might have watched in syndication back when you were a kid, when you were home on the summer or in the evenings or whatever. But the shows that he brought us, things like All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Maud, Good Times, Jefferson's, One Day at a Time, these are all shows that were just, they were just on. And I watched those all the time. And these were not only just shows that kind of reshaped how television was done. I mean, these shows kind of help shape Americana. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no. Uh, to this day, they still shape uh, how even just TV works. And launched so many careers. Uh, Rob Reiner pretty much credits Norman Lear for giving him his career. He would be nowhere if he wasn't meathead. Yeah, no. I first mean, on All in the Family. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean that that had to have been like practically his first acting gig, or at least his first. Uh, you're gonna see me and know who I am. Acting gig. Name and name in the credit kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so, so, something post college. <laughs> right. His sitcoms, especially in those early '70s, were so different than everything else that was on television. I mean, it, it can't be downplayed. Everything else was still kind of following the um, Leave It the Beaver, Ozzie and Harriet kind of sitcom, where everything was 
bright and shiny and cheerful and the worst thing that you had to deal with was oh i got a flat on my tire <laughs> it was the brady bunch Some, uh somebody's cookies off the windowsill <laughs> right and he comes up with these shows that are just these are people that you recognize you know these are people that you come in contact with in your life whether they they're just uh they're just kind of the, the working class but uh, and in some cases and like in good times and whatever they're they're the uh less than working class they're they're the ones struggling to put food on the table day to day i i mean you literally have archie bunker living in your neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> yeah unfortunately i think i do <laughs> But that is how that is how down to earth, in your face, that he was at a time where people didn't do that much. No, no, just incredible, and the fact that he just kept working. Oh yeah, and producing and writing for decades, for more, for longer than most than some people are alive. This man worked. <laughs> a little heavy-handed for a guy that lived to 101 so yeah <laughs> but that, that that means he's probably worked for at least 90 years <laughs> really uh really astonishing and and very excited he's one of those ones just like uh just like like mel brooks who's still with us and mm-hmm. still kicking and i think he's nearly is he 100 now or pushing 100 he's getting up there too I don't know his actual age but yes no he is not he, I, I know he's north of 90 right and these are the ones that you know the day will come but you always it just there's a part of you that wishes it never does because they're still there and they're still with it and they're still producing the stuff that they've done all their lives We've probably had this conversation before, and if we haven't, I know I have with others. Norman Lear created things that you couldn't necessarily create now. He found ways for the content that he was making to to cross lines without crossing lines, and we're a little hypersensitive these days, so... You can't make your your sarcastic or satirical point without setting somebody off somewhere. So, yeah. But he managed to do it repeatedly and for decades. Astonishing individual, incredible career, and uh, I am so glad that he has left us with so much. And what the beautiful thing is is that his works, these TV shows, can still be found today. Yes. You know there are there are streaming services there are uh cable and satellite channels that are still running these programs so you can you can find them they are released on dvd and blu-ray um it it just like i said it can't be downplayed how important this man and his work is archie bunker's chair i I don't know if it still is but it was in the smithsonian on display i believe it that's how yes yeah that's how important that show started in 1971 and it's in like america's museum mm-hmm. that's how <laughs> incredible that's how important this stuff was and still is let's talk about um more upbeat things <laughs> bigger things <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> um at least at, at the time of recording i think uh both of us have watched the first 
three episodes of the new Monarch mm-hmm. series. Yep. What do you think of it? I it, I think it's fine so far. Um, actually, interestingly enough, I've watched at least one of the episodes twice because I wanted my son to watch too, and um, I I'm actually enjoying it rather quite a bit. Um, the the thing that could be a hindrance to some uh, as I watched my own son struggle with it is the way they go about their storytelling is non-chronological and they bounce around a lot so you have to keep it straight which year you're in because even in the groupings of characters they'll bounce around in their own timeline too yeah like there's at least one scene that i'm fairly certain we watched the end of a character and then five minutes later we're further in their past (laughs) so we're seeing them again and you're like uh uh, what happened there (laughs) and you're waiting to get to it yeah the first even in the first episode my wife and i were watching and we both missed the little scroll at the bottom of the screen that said that this was oh what year it was somewhere in 1940 something or whatever yeah we completely missed it because the people aren't wearing clothes that are necessarily period looking right and we we just saw what you were just referring to and then we see someone else talk about oh that's a photo of my grandmother i'm like oh is there some timey-wimey thing going on here no, we're just <laughs> we just we actually went back and watched the show. Uh, for some reason, the uh, the subtitles was not working uh, correctly. So when people would speak Japanese oh. or Russian or whatever, we didn't know what they were saying, and we figured out what was wrong. So we went back and watched it a day or two later, yeah. and that's when we caught the oh. That takes place yeah. <laughs> in a completely different time. Right now, as I understand it, we're in 1958 and 1959, 1973, and 2013. I, ha- I reserve judgment a little, because 2013 is the first of the more current American Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. And... Some of the content of this is essentially supposed to take place months after after the attack on San Francisco that took place in that movie. Which means we're not acknowledging any of the other movies yet, or at least... Well, I think we acknowledged uh, Kong. We acknowledge... Yeah, but uh, the first Skull Island movie, it takes place in the past. It's not current. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's and that's the thing is if you're gonna be a fan of this, if you're gonna, you kind of almost have to, you kind of need to invest a little in some of the films. So <laughs> if anything, you know what year they take place, so you figure out how they fit into what the monarch story is telling. So I'm enjoying it because I'm at least up on that stuff. But if you're not, you can get easily distracted and even kind of go, what am I watching? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You almost need a, uh, even if you have the knowledge, you almost need a flow chart. Yeah. They're, they're... <laughs> you have to pay attention because when they do the time jumps, they'll, at the start of the episode, 
they might say 1958, right. whatever. And then the next time, and then you'll jump to, you know, 2013. Great. And then when you see the group from 1958 again, they don't remind you that this is 1958. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> so you just got to remember, all right, we're back to, with these guys, so now we know when we are. Yeah, you, you kind of have to keep it straight in your head. And, and because the 1958 thing does part of what we're trying to allude to without talking about it, um, yeah, you can get a little lost in that timeline, too, because you actually don't know where you are in relationship to the conversations they're having. That's my only complaint is, yes, you kind of need a program to go along with the with this so you know where you're at. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. I, I think this is going to be a, a little bit more... Not exactly a slow burn, but mo a moderate boil, and it's going to take some time to really... To, to kind of let you get to where you want to yeah, be, could, maybe? Could, and I know where you're going with that. You want monsters. That's not necessarily the case. I, it's not that I just... I, I want monsters. It's just... It's building up a big mystery. Yes. And... Although, I mean, I'm, we're only talking three episodes, but it still feels like they're taking their time to build this mystery. And it's like, don't take too long. Yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> yeah, don't bore us on the way to your point. But uh, um, but I'm actually kind of enjoying and not since Marvel got their stuff off the ground and figure out how to keep tying multiple properties together to at least tell a larger story. I'm actually kind of enjoying that the monster movies started an underlying story, and we're actually kind of getting to see it come through, and uh, I wasn't certain that they, they'd ever... Like, they always alluded to Monarch and what Monarch does through all the other films, and you're, you're supposed to... Even literally during the credit sequences, they flash all of the... Uh, monarch materials on the screen that's part of the deal you never were certain whether or not they'd actually get to bring any of that to fruition so this is kind of interesting watching them build their own universe right now it's cool yeah it's just yes it, 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 he can't not pay attention <laughs> it's not a casual watch I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season uh, pans out, and you know, hopefully, it if it needs the time to grow, I'm hoping that it gets it. Yes, I do too. Yeah, yes. we 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 shall see. Uh, only it being on the streaming service and being the sort of niche audience that uh, might be attracted to this particular program, I'm you know maybe a little dubious, but we'll we'll find out. Yes, but the, the thing you're about to talk about had a big weekend. Oh, yes. I went to the Skyline Drive-In in Shelby, Indiana, and I saw Godzilla Minus One, the new Toho production Godzilla film. It is astounding. I haven't had the pleasure yet. I will not spoil anything for you, and I will not spoil anything for our listeners if they have not seen it yet, but oh my gosh, if you're a Godzilla fan, you have to see this film and go see it on the big screen because it's Godzilla. <laughs> and how many? How often do you get to see a Godzilla on the big screen? Exactly. And yeah, no, and I'm hoping to find the biggest screen I can, so there's an IMAX in the area, and I'm hoping to get to it. <laughs> 
Yes. And as I've been telling people, it's not just that it's a good Godzilla film. It's a great film. I mean, period. Yeah, no, and, and that's that's what I'm hopeful for. Uh, like, I already in on the Godzilla thing. As long as he's on the screen enough for me to get that catharsis, uh, I'm good. But if it's also entertaining just as a film, I'll be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really good. I was really impressed, and I've been like waiting for the date that you can pre-order this <laughs> so I can get that on order no way I'm missing this one I love that you've no no sooner have you left the drive-in <laughs> where's my physical copy damn it <laughs> you know as as they often are at drive-ins it was a double bill they paired Godzilla minus one with the, what was it, 1965's Gamera. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. But at least it was a really good print. It was like one of the new uh, remastered Blu-ray type uh, prints of the Gamera. It wasn't like an old fuzzy okay. public domain print or anything. It was a nice, clean print. It was subtitled. So it was, you know, the legitimate you know, Japanese version. That film is, you know, it's an odd movie because it's it's done really well, but it's not really a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a bad movie done really well. I I just feel like there's a missed opportunity there. Like, they should have run the original Gojira. Yes. Oh, that's another thing, too. Uh, Jumping back to the the minus one. The Friday before... I went to the drive-in. I went to the drive-in on Saturday. The Friday before, I decided to put in the Gojira and watch yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so I threw in the uh, the Blu-ray and watched the original film, and I'm so glad I did. So I'll, I'll give you a heads up. What there's some great homages to the original. Oh, really? Film okay. In minus one. Yeah. We'll see. That's that's where we can get the little plug uh, for. Uh, I should have no trouble catching it because. If you go to Pluto and the Godzilla channel, it's on every other day. <laughs> yeah. I would recommend watching the original film before you go and see Minus One. So just to make sure that you, it's it's there, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it. Excellent. Okay, I'll have to squeeze that in before I book my uh, trip to the IMAX. I think I was a little bit surprised of all the Gamma films to choose to go back to the original Gamera and not maybe one of the ones from the 90s. Oh, so you yeah. could have at least both done, you know, color and more modern special effects and everything. Now, I, this is completely tangential, but I, I and I only just recently discovered there's an animated cartoon for him on Netflix of Gamera. For for Gamera? For Gamera. I, I I know of nothing of this. Yeah, no, uh, I I didn't really. I kind of missed it myself. But there is a a current like in the past couple years, uh, a- animated series on Netflix for Gamera. I haven't tried one yet, so I had no idea. I knew Godzilla had one or two animated uh, shows come out, but I had no idea that Gamera had one. I, I guess I'm not surprised that Dai would jump on it since Toho had some amount of success with their uh, animes, but... Yep, in fact, the series is called... Oh, it did literally start this year. Um, It is called Ah. Gamera Rebirth. Oh, interesting. Well, I will have to 
try to uh, look that oh, up. Oh. Yeah, no, that would definitely be up your alley. But yes, it's a it's modern looking animation. Actually, uh, Gamera in at least the the little captures looks better than he ever did in any of his <laughs> other iterations. So, so might be worth the watch. All right, very cool. So yeah, it was a uh, it was a really fun night. I yeah. I don't get an opportunity to go to the uh, the theater or to go to the big movies much at all anyway, yeah. and to be able to go to a drive-in. This is a really great skyline's really great. They've been uh, staying open year round, so even through the winter, they're they're going to be they have been and are con- going to continue to show films. And they've had some really fun lineups, and this this was a great one. This was a lot of fun. I I told them like you keep bringing giant monsters i'll definitely keep coming out (laughs) (laughs) why would you not oh uh speaking of which i just no more got back from the drive-in and the very next day i see that the trailer for uh godzilla x kong or godzilla versus kong whatever dropped and that looks that looks um well Compared to minus one, that is, it, it looks like a very much a fluff piece. But you know what? <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's big monsters beating up on each other, and, and our hero lizard is there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be uh, quite the ride. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I didn't see when that actually is going to uh, premiere. Yeah, no, I didn't catch a date. Actually, I haven't but caught I, the uh, actual uh, trailer yet. Oh, well, yeah, you should uh, definitely check it out. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it for very different reasons than I'm looking forward to watching <laughs> Minus One again. It, it's very different films, but still, it looks like a lot of fun. Very cool. Yep, no, Godzilla's having a, a, a resurgence, and it's happy to have him back. And that is something that I'm really happy that... That Toho is a allowing the licensing to continue with Legendary Pictures, mm-hmm. you know, with Godzilla, and the fact that they are making their own films and going, yes, you, America, you may see it, <laughs> and actually letting us, you know, putting it in in our theaters, yeah. because that wasn't something that always happened. I mean, there was, I think, a little bit of um, a little bad blood uh, with after Godzilla in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they they made this Godzilla rebirth and then they sent it found a distributor here in the States who then edited it and turned it into a commercial for Dr. Pepper, uh, with a starring Raymond Burr. And I think that left a kind of a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah. Um and so we haven't seen a whole lot of Godzilla on the big screen here in the States until within the last decade. Right, yes, exactly. So I'm I'm glad that this is happening, and this is a fantastic time to be a kaiju fan. <laughs> See now, now I want the crossover between like Godzilla and Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we all want that. I don't know who to ro- well, I know who to root for. Godzilla. <laughs> Yeah, but so that has been my kind of busy couple of weeks. Uh, have you been watching or seen anything 
not other than uh, keeping up on Monarch and all that. Uh, life has been very work centric. If it's not work at work, it's work here in the house. So, all right. So yes, uh, I make time for what I can, and it's not much. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, then that's it. Seems like a good place to make a, a little break here. Yep. Uh, we'll listen to we'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And we'll get back to the main subject at hand when we take a look at the film Transcendence from 2014. Movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. Please welcome my partner in science and in life, Dr. Will Caster. The path to building superintelligence requires us to unlock the most fundamental secrets of the universe. Imagine a machine with a full range of human emotion. Its analytical power will be greater than the collective intelligence of every person in the history of the world. Some scientists refer to this as the singularity. Professor? I call it transcendence. A series of attacks conducted by a radical anti-tech group known as Rift. They hit AI labs all over the country. We lost decades of research and development. It's radiation poisoning. The bullet must have been laced with it. The effect is irreversible. Will's body is dying, but his mind is a pattern of electrical signals. We can upload his consciousness. We can save him. Not like this. Assuming that this works, if we missed anything, a thought, a childhood memory, how will you know who you're dealing with? Maybe intelligent, may even be sentient. This is not well. Shut it down. Shut it it down. It's him. Your friends crossed the line. They don't know the danger. This is astounding. So how do we fight it? You can't. An AI is like any intelligence. It has needs. The real will die. It'll start to evolve. Where's the machine? To influence. 
perhaps the entire world. Where are you going? Everywhere. Transcendence stars Johnny Depp, Rebecca Hall, Paul Bettany, Kate Mara, and Morgan Freeman. And it was directed by first-time director Wally Pfister. And it's produced by Alcon Entertainment. Dr. Will Castor is a scientist who, along with his wife, Evelyn, explore the creation of artificial intelligence, theorizing that the next step in human evolution will be the transcendence into living computers. When a terrorist organization, Revolutionary Independence from Technology, or RIFT, carry out a series of attacks on laboratories developing AI, Castor is shot with a bullet laced with the radioactive element polonium. With only a few weeks to live, Evelyn and friend and colleague Max uh, decide to try and upload Will's consciousness into a quantum computer that their team had developed. Successful in their attempt, Will now exists in the computer and asks to be connected to the internet so he can grow. Max is hesitant, but when Rift discovers their lab with the goal to destroy everything, Evelyn connects Will and uploads him. Now untethered, Will begins amassing large sums of wealth and with Evelyn's help develops a giant research facility. There he develops nanoparticles that can replicate almost any substance at amazing speeds, that can destroy pollution, and are able to cure and augment humans giving them superhuman strength, and a connection to a hive mind controlled by Will. Rift, now aided by Max and the FBI, set out to stop Will before he spreads his influence over the entire planet. This one uh, had a supposed budget of about $150 million. It grossed about 103 worldwide after it was all said and done, so it was considered a huge flop. Yeah. Uh, this was a first-time watch for me. It, it was a film that you had said you had seen before. Did you see it just uh, like on home video? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I caught this on HBO at one point. Uh so this is the second time ever that I had watched it, and I had forgotten rather quite a bit of the film. I was just going to ask you if it, if it had been recent or if it was far enough along or far enough away that you actually kind of uh, you had that. Oh, I watched that, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's a it's a 2014 film, and I would have probably watched it sometime 2014, 2015. So it's been a minute. It's only been a decade since this thing came out. I am not sure I've even ever heard of it until it was brought up to do it in this series. Yeah? Yeah, I don't recall it coming out in 2014 whatsoever. I struggle with whether or not I even saw it in the theater. I do remember it coming out, and and there are sequences from this movie that, that have stuck with me even when I saw it the first time, but not what you would think. There's imagery stuff that came up that, like, because they showed it twice in the film, and I think that's part of why it stuck with me. Um, there, There's a sequence where there's a guy opening up his shop where they only do trade, and when he opens the door, he jams a laptop keyboard in there as the way to hold the door open, symbolizing mm-hmm. that old technology, laptop computer technology, 
is now worth nothing. It's garbage. I I think perhaps symbolizing it was a really big symbol. <laughs> yeah. Is there another word for how <laughs> like beat you over the head the that symbolism? <laughs> right, and I think that's part part of what stuck with me from the film in general like with I I couldn't remember everything that happened in this thing, but I remembered that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty heavy-handed. Oh, yeah, very much. I found this film to be an odd one. Mm-hmm. It clocks in at about two hours. Yep, just shy. And while a lot kind of goes on in the film, I still felt like it took a long time to get where it was going, even though it it seemed like a very steady and uh, deliberate pace. Yeah, but... Uh... The way that I could describe it as I watched it is that it's three different films. Because you have everything up to Will going into the uh, computer, that whole drama playing out. You have him in the computer and the chase to get get away from Rift and, and to start their new life. And then so, and then there's the evolution of the town. That's all in a movie unto itself. And then there's everything from after they've moved into the town to the climax scene, the the quote unquote battle uh, for humanity versus AI. That's an entirely third film, <laughs> and that's all mm-hmm. at the end. It does. It's so segmented that way. That's why you're getting that weird cadence. Is you're like, yeah. oh, we just we you can almost cut a hard line. Okay, we just left that one. We're now in this story. And I almost feel like the actors themselves I feel like they were coming in without knowing what had transpired before or what was going to happen after because so many of them, especially with like someone like Morgan Freeman, he I guess I'm here, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. Right. Everyone just sort of seems to be sleepwalking their way through this film. Which is a, a not not to bury the lead there, but it is a trend through uh, the reviews when we get to that stage, is that notion really? of sleepwalking your way through it. Oh, interesting. I haven't... I purposely have not looked at any of the reviews or have gone to Metacritic or anything, but yeah, everyone just is... No one feels like they're giving it their all through this. Well, or that they don't know how to give their all. Um, and and some of the struggle, it, it, there, there's some really good stuff in here, but there's a struggle with just the characters themselves. Because, like, the, the Paul Bettany guy, character, um, if he has the stance that essentially launches Rift, it was unclear that that's how he felt up to the point where he birthed this AI. I, I mean, I know that he's in—he's essentially in love with, with Will's wife, kind of. I was waiting for something like that to come up in the story. You get the vibe, but you don't... There's no evidence for it, but you get that feeling. Yeah, there's no follow-through. There, 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 there's like, there could have been a struggle to create kind of this jealous relationship thing. And and that's not that never didn't ever formulate and and even when 
Will has died and, and whatever he's become now, uh, but up to that point, you never kind of got that he might have tried to kind of stay with humanity, stay with me, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, there wasn't a lot of that, but given that if you go back to what he supposedly wrote and all of the stuff that Rift took out of that, even while apparently t attending a class that he was holding, um, and the fact that he is not more anti against all of this out of the get-go, or that he's attending that that expose thing that they're all at, and uh, he he's talking about saving lives and all that, but we're not sure where what how that fits into how where this film is going to go. So he's very disjointed as a character. Yeah, I think they threw that in. They did the thing with. Um... Kate Mara's character, I, I forget the character. She's the, the leader of this Rift organization. Yep. And, yeah, she she pulls it out of the hat that you, you wrote about this and how AI can be this terrible tool and this and that and everything in order to sway him to their cause. It seems so forced because, as you said, if that's really how he felt, why would he ever have agreed to do what he did with Evelyn? right. Like, he should have been vehemently opposed to that, and he should have been, like, the counter-argument at the Expo um, to all of it, which wasn't clear at all. And, and, and I don't know how that trio would have been friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, apparently best friends. Yeah, they're, they're best of friends, and, and, and they have diabetes metrically opposed viewpoints and it doesn't make sense right Bree is Kate Mara's character's name yes it's so simple and yet I couldn't think of it <laughs> well they barely call her it yeah that's true she didn't really use her name all that much assuming that was really her real name <laughs> in fact her character appears on screen several times before she actually ever utters a word yeah true um yeah, there's so much in this film, at least especially in the very beginning, that I feel like it happened because we need it to happen. The very idea of the, the, the one uh, lab is taken out by a poisoned cake. <laughs> and somehow this poison is so good that it reacts to everybody at exactly the same time, right. in exactly the same way. No one just has like a couple bites yeah, and then just doesn't really feel good. And maybe, you know, I, I, I don't fucking eat anymore. No, everyone eats a whole piece of cake <laughs> and then all pass out and die at the same time. Well, and, and the part that makes it truly laughable is even if it even saying said po uh, poison was potent enough to, to do that. No one made enough of a fuss that Morgan Freeman ever got out of his chair. Right. Apparently his, his glass partitioned office is soundproof. Well, and he had <laughs> had his music in his ears, but I'm like, nobody's mm. headphones are that that soundproof. <laughs> Especially not in 2014. <laughs> I would think if your colleagues are all suddenly collapsing on the floor, you might get up and like pound on the glass or something before you actually collapse. Yeah, or... that's what I'm saying is somehow his attention would have been drawn to the commotion going on someone picking up the phone and hitting dialing 911 nothing nothing like that happened Q 
Yeah, uh, like that 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 strained uh, that strained belief rather quite a bit. But uh, I read a little uh, factoid about polonium. Oh yeah. Apparently, it is extremely radioactive. A a thimbleful could wipe out hundreds of people. Oh, wonderful. So the idea that a the the person that wrote this was like. Human skin's pretty good at blocking out the gamma rays, so okay, fine, people can be around him or whatever. But I'm thinking most people wouldn't really want to see him cremated and his ashes thrown into the water. <laughs> you know, I hadn't even thought about that part. <laughs> well, and, and, and honestly, if it was that as bad as all that... Now, granted, the shooter even shot himself, but then the act of just carrying that gun around... Mm. <laughs> would have tainted so many other people. That's just a very ridiculous minutia trivia right, thing. Right, but, but now now that you know those things, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is even harder to swallow. It's almost as bad as the poison cake. Yeah, and the fact that he's dying of radiation sickness, and when he actually dies, other than him having to shave his head, he looks great. Oh yeah, no. Uh, he looks. He looked. He looked tired. He had the yep, little bit around the eyes. Okay. Yeah. I'm just. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Now, now I can't wait to read one of the uh, reviews to you later. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't place your name. I didn't really look at the credits to see the who the actress was that played Evelyn Castor. Uh, Rebecca Hall yes. is the actress. The whole time I'm watching this film, I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my head, this is like Naomi Pace. And then I read the, start reading about the film. That was the actor they first went after <laughs> for the role. <laughs> well, they they knew the type they wanted. Yeah, no, very much. Um, I don't know if I've seen Rebecca Hall in anything else because I'm pretty sure I thought she was Naomi Pace the whole time. So. <laughs> yeah, she's one of those actresses, too. I know I've seen her in other things, and I couldn't tell you what. Oh. Yeah. I... There, there's one. Um, she was in The Prestige. Okay. She was one, um, She was the wife to uh, uh, the Christian Bale character. What do you think about Johnny Depp as the, you know, super scientist? It's not the casting decision I think I would immediately jump on. The only thing that makes it at least entertain his voice in this, especially with the ac accent that he's going for, like, not that I know what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think his accent is the strong suit. <laughs> no, but it made for a distinctive sound and tone, and when he wasn't going to be on screen, on screen most of the time, the distinct voice at least gave some weight to him being the computer. Um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, not really sure why that was the choice. I feel like this is one of those films that someone does when he's been really kind of, uh, you know, he, he's done the Par Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think he'd done at least two Pirates of the Caribbean films uh, before this, maybe even three. 
And yeah, I, I feel like this is the kind of uh, one of these films, along with like uh, Dark Shadows and everything, where he's like, no, look, I can do something else besides Jack Sparrow. <laughs> and, and I think more along the lines of your point, this is him getting back into playing, even though he ends up an AI, a, a more human character. <laughs> like, Jack Sparrow is larger than life. He did Sweeney Todd. He, he, um, he, he, he had the Willy Wonka thing. He had otherly human, and I guess in this case, the AI part does kind of fit, but it makes the uh, the part where he's just supposed to be the alive scientist different somehow. <laughs> yeah, I just... He is an actor, I think. I just... I'm really hot and cold on him. Um, you know, you go back to his early days. I loved him in the old 21 Jump Street show. <laughs> um... I can't think of anybody else I would have rather seen in Ed Wood. Yeah, no, he was fantastic in that. But I see him in something like this, and I can't help but think we could have found someone else. I did. I. I I'm not buying him as this brilliant neuroscientist or AI scientist. I, he doesn't come across as he. I'm a brilliant scientist because the script said so is pretty much the, the vibe I'm getting. Well, here's why. I, I think this is why they actually wanted him for this. It's not the uh, do you buy him as the scientist. It, it's do you buy him as an egotist with charm? Mm. Uh, like, But is he, though? His character isn't really written as someone that's an egotist. Oh, I, I, I actually beg to differ. Um, and, and it has everything to do with the the very well intentioned, well meaning line that he had during his time on stage during the expo. Because um, somebody, the, actually, the dude that's about to shoot him. Um, yeah, at, his assassin. Yeah, his yeah. assassin asks him a, a question about, "Aren't you just replacing God?" Um, oh yeah, are you're trying to create your? Yeah, own you're God. trying to create God, and, and that's when he has the answer. I'm like, "Isn't that what humanity has always done?" And and that's not him saying no, he's not. It's it's him justifying it, and I think that's where I got that egotist vibe. Is mm. I, I'm the guy that's going to save you all. You're just going to have to get on board. He hasn't so much as said it yet, because um, he's not there. He hasn't. He hasn't fully achieved his goal yet. Um, but in that moment, he's that's that's the vibe that I got from that, and that's why I think Johnny Depp makes a at least a decent person to deliver that message. Okay. But, yes, I still think uh, if you wanted more of that feel going in other directions might have come off better. If it weren't such a parallel to um, when he becomes Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. would have been a good uh, person for that role. He pulls off yeah. that intelligence, but, uh, hey, look at me, I'm a peacock kind of guy. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, there's also a lot of the, um, and it's, it's again, very heavy-handedly messaged in the film, at least in dialogue, mm -hmm. is how devoted Evelyn and Will are to each other. And most of that comes from 
voiceover yeah. from Paul Bettany's character. Yeah. All he ever wanted was to, you know, be with her. I'm like, okay. Um, they just, I'm not saying they didn't seem like they didn't love each other, but we didn't really get an insight into them, into like this incredible, rich, and fantastic, uh, loving relationship. They were just, they were just a married couple that were in the same line of work. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting that you wanted to bring that up because that I, that struck me very early, and I I think some of it is, um, the the two actors don't seem to have much in the way of chemistry. They could have easily and not been in the same room with each other and been comfortable mm-hmm. with that, or at least that's how it feels. Um, but when she's introducing Will onto the stage, um, after she's given her talk she introduces him as her partner in in, in both life and in work and, and like that came off colder than you wanted it to sound if these two are just so thick that death is not the line that parts them yeah yeah so yeah it it's only because someone says that they are this perfect, wonderful, incredible couple. Oh, I can even go to, uh, and yeah, you do need that to, to get that hint because there's even a scene where um, where Johnny Depp is like covering the first time that he met her and all of that and telling this story that sounds like it should be romantic, but he is telling it as if he's reading the phone book. He's reading it off the page, which is exactly what I feel like everyone in this movie was doing. Mm-hmm. They're literally reading their lines off the script, off the page. Yeah. They're not they're not acting it, they're just conveying it. <laughs> yep. And and the only reason it doesn't come off as worse is because these are actually fairly top-tier actors doing it. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that they don't really seem to have any chemistry amongst themselves. And, and no, no obvious connection back to the content. It's not terrible. It's just bland. It, 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 mm-hmm. This should have been a far more exciting piece, and we, you should have been more emotionally invested in everything that happened. And yet, its delivery is why you you aren't. This film is obviously wanting to make some statement mm-hmm. or to start a discussion about. You know, uh, the AI, the the singularity, the the the, the human computer, the you know, all all these steps and everything that you see played out in this film, but it never does. It sort of reacts to things that happen, but discussions really aren't had within the film. No, and, and motivation is a little too off camera because. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Rift, we're told why Rift is Rift, but you don't feel that from Rift. Well, especially because Rift's manifesto or whatever is to just completely eschew technology and not be a slave to technology, and yet they're constantly using the technology to further their gains. Exactly, which, yeah, I mean, (laughs) the hypocrisy is right there in front of you. But so they they feel like an organization that exists because the script says so, 
not because mm-hmm. it would have evolved of its own cord. How we treat AI when we get it, and this is either the blessing or the curse of uh, fusing our hero to the AI um, in this, because it never becomes clear that having the AI is necessarily bad. That is a big issue I have with this film, is was what he was doing completely wrong? Yeah, like, even as you get to the end, and and I think maybe that is part of the message, because, I mean, it is what we're literally grappling with now as AI is coming in to being in its uh, its rudimentary state as is now. Um, But we're trying to convince ourselves... Um, right or wrong, that this is not a bad thing right now. In 2014, that's what this film literally was doing. If you were to take it from um, the Rift and the FBI's approach where they're coming in all violent, they ask no questions, they stop to to think about nothing, it's just, we're going to do this because... For whatever reason, we're supposed to do this. In the meantime, it makes the AI the more sympathetic character because it's getting attacked. It has attacked no one. It, 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 even the humans who are joined to this thing came willingly. They didn't. He didn't go out and harvest. They come knowing what they're getting into, and and it goes from there. So. You're seeing a, almost the rise of a new civilization, and our answer is to beat it into the ground. Right. So, but is yep. that was that still the good or the bad thing? Like, because yes, if he keeps going the way he's going, the the one thing being the Trekkie that I am forever am, it's the birth of the Borg is what we're watching. <laughs> right. Well, except. We never actually see him do anything like evil, like you said. Everyone that is there at at, at the uh, at the facility, everyone that has come in to have their ailments cured. You know, we see a, a man who's been blind since birth gain his sight. We've seen uh, someone who was nearly beat to death completely cured and 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 augmented. Now he's superhuman and everything. And yes, all of them are now connected. He can connect to them. Mm-hmm. And create a hive mind or connect to them individually and sort of transfer himself to them momentarily or whatever to communicate through them or or what have you. But he doesn't appear to be doing that forcefully to anybody. No, and he says they're they're autonomous. It's a given that they have to essentially consent to what's happening, either when in the hive, when letting him control them, or just them caring about their business. Right. So he sends out these nanoparticles all over the world, and all they do are altruistic. I mean, they're they're cleaning up pollution. They're making the water clean. They're cleaning the air. There. And we never get, or, or and are never told that he's forcing these nanoparticles on. Yes, they're probably being used and, and ingested by people all over the world, but he's not. He hasn't taken over a, a, a continent. <laughs> Right, yeah. He's not he's not doing anything to anybody without their permission. So So apparently Rift and the FBI are putting a stop to him so he doesn't just in case he will. 
I mean, that's that's their motivation. Is that's their reasoning? Is well, he might use it as a weapon. Well, I've got a baseball bat. I I, I might use that as a weapon. So, are you going to come take my baseball bat? And despite the blandness of this, this is actually where I kind of enjoy this film. I like that all of this argument is completely muddy. There, the AI did nothing wrong, but they attacked it. But they conceive of the possibility of the entire loss of th free will. And with him being called Will is extra entertaining. Uh, yes. But, I mean, and that's what he's doing as the AI is saying, not taking your free will, I'm helping you be better you. And, and But they have to trust in something to do that, mm -hmm. and that's where we struggle as humans. <laughs> so, Well, then the problem I really have is the solution that Rift and the FBI come up uh -huh. with is a virus that will destroy Will's source code, knowing that he's now so ingrained into the world's uh, everything. Infrastructure. The infrastructure, that if they do it, it will literally stop all technology. And they decide that's the best solution. Yeah. Is to, is to cast the world into a technological dark age. Yep. So... Will was ending world hunger, ending disease, ending poverty, and the answer is to completely undo all of that. <laughs> Take us all the way back. Have everyone starve, have everyone poor, uh, yeah, congratulations, we won? <laughs> yeah, and which then makes the actual end of the movie even more bewildering I, I get that it was supposed to be romantic the notion that despite all of their effort and by destroying all of global infrastructure related to the internet and all of that they didn't destroy him at all <laughs> he they, they give you that inkling that his nanites are there tending for his, he and his wife's garden. Yep. And so, therefore, all they have to do is decide to move beyond the garden, and they're back. And that doesn't actually even work. No. <laughs> because I, I like, uh, Max is the one who goes to their house. Yeah. Uh, he goes back to the garden, and uh, uh, Will had set up what he claimed to be a Faraday cage over this garden, which also isn't actually a Faraday cage. You can't just put one. Yeah, you don't put. Yeah, you don't put a little copper along the roof line, and you're done. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, uh, Max realizes that this uh, the sunflower is is blooming, and everything else is dead, but the sunflower is still there, and a little drop of water falls off of it and lands in a uh, uh, an oil-stained puddle and it immediately clears the oil. Wouldn't that have already happened like a dozen times in the, in the several years that that has apparently been there? So he would just see clean water landing in clean water? I mean, none of, none of that really works. 
that's it's 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 a shoehorned in in case we want to do a sequel ending well and and this is a thing the movie uh kind of did with it which wasn't always obvious but had to have been there is its passage through time yeah yeah like from when we see him and he gets shot and then uploaded into the computer it's obvious that some years go by um when they're out in the desert we are assuming some yeah we have no idea we know that from the time he got shot to the time he died there's at least like four to five weeks because that's that's as much time as they gave yeah to live after that it's out the window as far as how much time has passed yeah because uh assuming he did his work after he got online pretty quickly which i imagine would be possible yeah, it just the sheer level of construction out in the desert suggests that's a couple years worth of stuff to to get to that. H- having b- participated in watching a building go up, yeah, it takes a little bit of time. So yeah, well, especially since um, Evelyn hires you know a, a local uh, construction worker who has what do you say five guys on his crew, yeah. and so hire more. And no cost you give us will be too much. Yeah. So he has to go hire hundreds, if not thousands, of people to build an underground. <laughs> well, and facility. here's the thing. This is the 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 fun part of this. Just because I know what happens when when one puts a building together, um, that construction crew, no matter how many people he hires. Was going to construct the computer <laughs> that went into the building. So that means other obvious contractors. They didn't get into that. We don't need them to get into that. But then it becomes really dramatically unclear how much time has gone by uh, on all yeah, of you, you, you feel like decades should have gone by, and yet everyone looks exactly the same as they did when this thing started. Well, and if you're to believe what Will has accomplished and the fact that he is now part of the global network. Um, and, and he is a an a, all-knowing AI at this point. He has the sum of human knowledge at his fingertips. And he only thinks to build the one place in, <laughs> in, the, in the desert in the U.S. where people are looking for him. Well, and and there is where the sequel yeah. would let us know <laughs> that he actually had a second facility made, right in Alaska or something. I know, yeah. but that's all I'm saying is that he, I want to be in the story, but there's a lot of stuff that can take you right back out of it. The effects and everything did look nice. Mm-hmm. I, I I think the trailer sets this film up to be something a lot more spectacular than it ends up being. Um, it, it, I guess it does look pretty, and it definitely sparks some conversation, yeah. but I don't know if it really sparks the right conversations. <laughs> Perhaps not. <laughs> so what kind of conversations um, did we get? Yeah, let's, let's talk about this. I did throw it at the social media. We got a few comments over on Facebook. Uh, 
Cameron says it's a reasonable cyberpunk flick with a sloppy, confusing, sloppy slash confusing beginning. Not abysmal like the reviews stated, but not a four out of four star film like Richard Roper stated either. Still better than the latest unimaginative cluster F by Christopher Nolan, though. <laughs> uh, over on Lemmy, uh, Carl Dungeon. It was a stinker. Don't pay money for it. There's much better sci-fi in the genre. Ex Machina, for example. Indeed. Yeah, extremely good film. That's actually one we could have put on the list this year. We could. Uh, D Scratch says it was a bit of a mess. Story didn't make a lot of sense. I, it, I recall, if I recall. Yeah, well, you're about right. Yep. Uh, Yeldarb. I really like this movie. It shows both sides pretty well. I think. Would you trust an AI with everything that makes you you? So, good question. Yeah. Uh, D Scratch says it was a bit of a mess. Oh, this is him again. I'm sorry, I'm repeating it. I have it on there twice. Skipping to Discord. <laughs> Steph from over on the Film Gazers podcast. I've not even heard of this one. And it has Morgan Freeman? Put it on my watch list. This is the exact same discussion my husband and I have constantly regarding is it really you if we get to that point with AI slash brain uploading. You think it's the discussion. It, you'd probably be better off having your own discussions and finding a better film for it. Yeah, yeah, no, this is, um, I, I actually, that wasn't even a review that I I included, but somebody essentially said, um, this is the movie Her, only not good. Uh, I just think they could have made it a better, if, I don't know, perhaps the writers and the, and the, the writer and the director was trying to just make something that people talk about. They weren't trying to choose a side. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's where I, the kind of like the, the the hump I'm trying to get over that I haven't been able to kind of in my head is I'm so used to a film taking a stance one way or the other. Um, I was looking for like a um, a lawnmower man where obviously what they did to the guy was terrible because look what he became. Right. Uh, where this one is just well he did all these really great things these people are worried about him doing these really bad things discuss. And I think that's the struggle here is I actually like that it it lands on the you could go either way on this, um, but that makes it hard to bring in an ending, especially when you're a big budget film. Like there's no yeah. there's no giant climax in, in well, this could have gone either way. And I don't know that we did right or wrong. <laughs> so, Yeah. You don't get a satisfying end. <laughs> I I think this film, looking at it as, you know, the viewer, the third party, the non-participant, yeah. I would rather take my chances that Will would retain his humanity mm -hmm. and live in the world he created versus the world that we end up with after Rift and the FBI, you know, decide that, oh, we can't have that. Yeah, I really found myself more in the camp of I'd have seen where Wilk was going to take us because even what you guys are doing to end this is already problematic. So, baited a woman. You basically made her a kamikaze. But that's all we got from the social medias. 
So, uh, actually, it's kind of funny that that, that Cameron uh, brought up the very first uh, quote that I have, which is from the Chicago Sun-Times, Richard Roper, who did absolutely apparently love this film, uh, says, Transcendence is a bold, beautiful, sometimes confounding flight of futuristic speculation firmly rooted in the potential of today's technology. Like, All right. You, you at least the you at least got the confounding part in there. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. There's a lot of it I didn't understand, but I'm pretty sure it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> then when we go over to RogerEbert.com, uh, Matt Zoller cites uh, writes the most galling thing about Transcendence, though, isn't its inability to go to get a handle on what. If anything, it wants to say about the enormous changes happening to the human race, it's the movie's ending, which seems calculated to reassure us that everything's going to be fine as long as the right people are in charge, especially if they're good looking. It's precisely that sort of blind acceptance of authority that got the world of transcendence into a big mess in the first place. And that could bring this whole, this world, this real world to ruin as well. So, not a fan. No, not a fan, but he actually, I think he makes some pretty good points there too. Yes. You know, if you, if you, you look pretty and you sweet talk, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that they were playing that up, but I mean, that is the thing. It, are you following Will? Cause he's, got a good idea and could pull it off and because he looks good or are you doing it because it might actually be the right thing to do i, I don't know that's it messes right. with you on the chicago uh, tribune michael phillips after an intriguing start transcendence aka the computer wore johnny depp's tennis shoes <laughs> <laughs> offers roughly the same level of excitement as listening to hold music during a call to tech support. <laughs> that that's some beautiful writing there. I, I actually yeah, wrote. that's actually he took he put some effort into that, so that's good. Uh, now now, uh, same thought, different vibe. Wall Street Journal's Joe Morgenstern. Uh, we always love to read a little bit of his uh, ambitious to a fault. This cautionary fantasy about. Artificial intelligence has so much on its muddled mind and so little sense of dramatic grounding that it grows ever more preposterous before lurching to a climax that is utterly unfathomable. I like to read his <laughs> stuff just because uh, it'll increase my uh, word, my vocabulary. Vocabulary? <laughs> man goes out of his way to wordsmith. The, uh, I didn't like it. It wasn't very good. And that's what I have from the critics. I could go into way more, but they're all the same vibe. Yep, no, I understood. Yeah, it was um, a little disappointing for me, I think, because after seeing the trailer and not having known anything about the film, I, I, I went in kind of excited to see this and um, came away <sighs> wanting something yes. else. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 and I, you can't entirely put your finger on what would have made it better. Like, a different cast, would that have done it? Did we need to change out some dialogue? I don't know. Uh, 
I, I think a culmination of things. I think a little bit. I think the answer is yes yeah. to just about everything you throw out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's one of the. It, it's death by inches uh, uh, for this film. They're just a little bit wrong here, a little bit wrong there, and they all just end up murdering you. <laughs> yeah. No, I I like the idea of it just trying to get people to you know have a conversation mm-hmm. of you know not choosing the sides of having the one camp or another and who's right who's wrong I, I i like that idea but i would rather you not ask that question sounding like the uh the guy from ferris bueller uh, <laughs> bueller bueller <laughs> yeah I'm even right now i i struggle to know what to say about this film. yeah no I think we should say that's yeah. it for Transcendence from 2014. Let us, tr- let uh, us transcend. <laughs> yes, let's let's transcend ourselves into 2024. Uh, again, happy holidays and a happy new year to everybody. We will be back in 2024. We have got a, another idea for a series of films. I think this one might be a lot of fun. We're putting a little, maybe a little bit more work, a little bit more effort in this one, possibly. We'll see how it all transpires. Uh, the series next year will be called Past Futures Imperfect. E- films have to, quali- have, have to meet some qualifications here. We're going to be looking at films in the past that have predicted the future, which is still our past or near near past. Anyway, uh, here's the qualifications here. The future must be at least five years from release, preferably ten or more. So the film comes out in 1980. I want the future to be 85 or or beyond. Yes. The future year must now be in our past or the present or no more than five years from present day. Because I figure within five years, not that much is going to change. One can hope. <laughs> yeah, we can hope. And here's some some possible questions that we're going to ask of the film is did this future become reality so what did it get right and what did it get wrong and do we believe that this film's future may yet come to pass so that's all this, the kind of things we'll be looking at in these films and the first one to launch this one off is a TV movie that I stumbled on on Amazon Prime and I thought my god this is we have to watch this film. This is a, this truly is a, um, is exactly what I want this series to be. I, I hope we can find twenty three other films. <laughs> I'll admit your 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 energy here for for this. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> uh, we're gonna be watching the t- TV movie called Condor from nineteen eighty six. Uh, as we're recording, it is available on Prime. Go and check this film out. Uh, we will be back in a couple weeks to discuss it in in the new year. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. This one, it was from 1986. The year is 1999 in the film, so we've all been through it. <laughs> yeah, no, this is gonna be a fun series because it just seeing how. <laughs> How either much we aspired to, or how much we thought we were going to screw it up sooner. This, it's just going to be a lot of fun. Exactly, and that, that's kind of exactly what I'm looking for. And and like I said, I, I truly think when you see this film, you'll realize I, because the future that it sets, 
while being science fiction, it's still very grounded. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it it's not like, oh, and, and in 1999, we have flying cars or anything like that. It's, it's nothing extravagant for the most part. It's nothing terribly extravagant. It's not, you know, and... And we launch and to explore the the deepest corners of the universe. It's, it, none of that. No, because so it's it's stuff we can relate to, and I, I I think this will be a really fun one to start the the series out with and have uh, some discussions on. It's got Ray Weiss in it. Why why can I not? <laughs> Huge, hugely underrated character actor, if you ask me. Absolutely. So I'm already excited. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Cool. Um. So yeah, so if you have any suggestions for us, uh, I threw down social media looking for some, and uh, we we got a few. We've got a, a a good hand, couple handfuls of possible films on our list already. But any other suggestions for films that fit that criteria, please send them our way. Uh, follow the link in the show notes to all the social media sites where you can comment there, or you can send an email to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Tom, it has been a fun year i enjoyed the year of well it looked pretty <laughs> it was a fun topic uh, very very meta but lots of material to work with we could do another another year or two on that no absolutely and uh yeah we'll continue with uh, this new series you'll hear i'm sure we'll have some uh, some more special some time hops that come through in the year uh, I, I hope to get back into writing and producing a few more five-minute-ish reviews to throw out to everybody, and uh, we'll see what all comes to pass here in the you know the far-flung year of 2024, which is the future to so many of us. <laughs> I, I feel like it's almost here. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Until next year, bye. See ya.